Good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to mention a couple things before I get started with my message. Tonight at 7 o'clock, we're going to be having a prayer gathering for what's taking place in Afghanistan. And so I know it's on many of your hearts and you've been praying and please do. A lot of people don't know that the second fastest growing Christian church in the world is in Afghanistan and is now under threat. And so we're going to have a group that's praying here tonight at 7 o'clock and everyone is welcome. And then the second thing I'll mention is uh, as a leadership, we've been in communication with Boulder County Health. And I can let you know that in the weeks to come, there may be some adjustments to how we gather And so we want you to know that and be informed. And so if you're not yet receiving our weekly emails, please head out into the courtyard, be a part of Fall Launch today, uh, fill out one of those info cards, get on our email list because Friday afternoons we send an email out letting people know of all the things taking place. We look forward to being able to stream in the courtyard next week as well as being here in the, in the auditorium. But we just want you to know that there's, we're go, entering into a season again where there's going to be some adjustments and changes and we want you to know about them so you're not surprised on Sundays. And so thank you for your cooperation. We are all really, really good at being flexible. Or we're not, right? <laughs> Uh, a little bit of both. I want to start today by telling you a story. It's a true story of a poor Scottish farmer in the early 20th century. His name is Farmer Fleming is what we'll call him now, for his name for now. I'll let you know a little more about him later. But one day he was working his land as he often did. Uh, every day he'd be out, be out on his property taking care of the land. And he heard a cry coming from beyond a hill in an area that he knew was dangerous, that he knows his land, and he knew that area was dangerous because there was a dangerous bog there, and he heard crying coming from that area, and so he runs over the hill, and he comes down the hill, and he sees the bog, and he sees that a young boy is trapped inside the bog, the mud and the water, and he's certainly going to drown at some point if he's not rescued, and so Farmer Fleming went back to uh, his house, grabbed a rope, threw the rope out, and saved the boy's life. He brought him home that evening, cleaned him up, gave him some clean, some clean clothes, and then the boy was, was on his way. A couple days later, it's just another ordinary day. Farmer Fleming is working, and a fancy carriage pulls up to the, the Fleming house, and a nobleman gets out, and he walks up to Farmer Fleming, and he says, I'm the father of the son you saved two days ago, and I want to thank you, and I'm here to give you a considerable cash gift to show my gratitude. And Farmer Fleming said, no, I, I can't take that in as a, as a reward or a gift. I'm just glad that your son is okay. About that time, Farmer Fleming's young son ran out and interrupted these two men. And uh, the nobleman that had come in the carriage, the father of the boy that was rescued, looked down and said, is this your son? And Farmer Fleming said, yes. And the nobleman said, well, what if we do this? Why don't you let me take your son to the city where he can be educated? And it will be my gift to you and to your family. Well, after some discussion among the family, Farmer Fleming decided, yes, this would be a good idea. So he sent his son with the man to school in the city. Many years later, that boy that Farmer Fleming entrusted to the nobleman would graduate from St. Mary's Hospital uh, Medical School in London. Years later, Alexander Fleming would not invent but discover penicillin, the young boy of the farmer, Many years later, the nobleman's son, remember the one that was rescued from the bog? He would get very, very sick with pneumonia and would be saved from his illness and almost certain death from from, uh, penicillin, something that had been invented that day. 
an amazing, amazing encounter, an amazing interruption that led to Alexander Fleming, a brilliant doctor, who discovers penicillin, saves a number of lives, but here's the other part of the story. The young boy, the young boy, the son of that nobleman who was saved from pneumonia was Sir Winston Churchill. His dad was Sir Lord Randolph Churchill, the man that had welcomed the farming boy into his home and given him an education. A single interruption changed several people's lives. A single interruption changed the world. Now, I tell you that today because we're going to continue in our series called Establish, where we're teaching through the nine distinct elements that make Cornerstone Cornerstone. And it's not so much about us. This is what God is doing in us. This is what God has done, and we're excited about him because God continues to lead this church. And today we're talking about the element of encounter. God has established encounter as one of those things that we hold dear. Aaron talks about it all the time. We come on Sundays not just to hear a good message, not just to learn, not just to get moral, but we come to actually be with the Lord, to be in his presence, and this can happen a number of different places. For us here at Cornerstone, encounter means creating spaces everywhere in our life to experience and respond to the presence, the power, the truth, the love, and the mystery of God. Do we encounter all of those things at once? Well, maybe sometimes, but often the encounter is just a counter of mystery, If you've ever been on a walk or looked at a beautiful sunset or a landscape and you're just put in awe by the the power and the majesty and the mystery of God, that's an encounter. You can encounter God's truth. You hear the teaching of his word and it's amazing how God's word knows us and it pierces our heart, right? It's living and it can pierce our heart. That's an encounter. And what we're after all the time here at Cornerstone is that next encounter, We're certainly grateful for the things that God has done in the past in our lives, but we're always wanting more. And here's what I want to say to people in the room that are skeptical, that you might say, I've never noticed God's presence, I've never heard his voice, I've never sensed and felt his love. You've heard about it, but you've never encountered it. This is what I'd say. Encountering God really is possible. It really is possible. But often, it comes as a surprising interruption to our plans our assumptions about God, and our expectations of how he appears to us and how he speaks to us. So let me say that again. It's certainly possible, but they come as surprising interruptions to our plans, our assumptions, and our expectations. So we love talking about being with him here at Cornerstone. We use language like friendship with God, loving union, the life with God. Those are all helpful phrases, ways to think about chasing after these encounters. And if you were to choose one element that all the rest are built on, it would be this. It all starts with our relationship, our connection, receiving love, giving love, enjoying him, enjoying friendship with God. All of these other things, mission, generosity, vocation, service, transformation, they all come out and begin out of this one element of being with him. And so what I'd like to do today is I want to take you through three different stories, very different encounters that people had with God in the scriptures. And I want you to listen for a few things. First of all, I want you to see that that there's not a formula to encountering God. There are certain things that we can do, certain similarities in different people's encounters, but uh, they're never the same. So this helps release us from some of those expectations that it has to happen a certain way. We're meant to be open to God surprising us and interrupting our lives. And so I want to show you that not everything is the same. I also want you to see that people have encounters with God at different phases in their life. Sometimes they're not even looking for it, and God encounters them. 
Sometimes people are struggling. Sometimes people are seeking. And God is faithful to meet them there. And so the first story I want to take you to is in 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you follow along, you can turn to verse 3. So what I'll tell you quickly, Samuel is a young boy who's working for the great Jewish prophet Eli when the story takes place. Actually, this is starting in verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were, no more, there, there were not many more visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down, go back to sleep. So he went back to lie down. Verse six, again the Lord called to Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. How many times have parents told their kids to go back to bed? It's like that. Can you please leave me alone? Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Okay? So he had not yet had that encounter. A third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then... Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went to lie down in that place. The Lord came to him and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Familiar story, right? Speak, for your servant is listening. Let me just make a few observations. This is what encounters with God can often be like. First of all, Samuel, you could say, is a young boy who is open. He's open uh, to God. He's open to the idea of God. He's open to God surprising him. He's open to the fact that maybe he doesn't know everything about God. And it reflects itself in the sense that he is a person that is seeking. Samuel is seeking God. I mean, look where he's living. He's living in the temple. He's moved the whole direction of his life, the vision of his life towards God and serving him. Yet, he did not yet know the word of the Lord. It's very clear here in the passage. But he's open and he's seeking. God uses this. Many of you are open and seeking the Lord right now. You're wanting the next thing. You're wanting a new thing. You're wanting the first encounter with God. You're like Samuel. Here's the second observation. Samuel's a boy. It's obvious. The boy Samuel, the passage says. We don't know exactly how old he is. Eight, nine, 10, 11. What I love about this is that there is not an age that God cannot break through and help people see that it's him. One of the things that I've been very grateful for as a father raising my four sons in this church is that we have a children's ministry and a student ministry and I know this about our 18 to 25 ministry that's emerging with college students is they're not there just to take care of them while we gather. They're not even there just to teach them Bible stories. What's happening right now with our kids downstairs and with our students through the week, they are setting up moments where they can be in God's presence. They can encounter him. And so they learn to pray that way. And they learn to read the scriptures that way. And they learn to worship that way. I'm so grateful that uh, now it's my three older sons. They've all had the opportunity to go to way, go away to camp. And camp is this amazing moment 
where they actually have encounters with God. And this is how you know that kids have an encounter with God. They walk away and they say, that was powerful. And you're like, what happened? They don't exactly have the words to describe what happened. Because they noticed that God was with them. You know how that changes someone's life? I mean, one of the things we like to say here at Cornerstone is a moment in God's presence can change you. It can change your whole life. One moment can change your whole life. One interruption can change your whole life. Those students, as they're away at camp, you know what happens? Some of their struggling questions and doubts that they have about God, they kind of get sorted out because they meet with him. The Holy Spirit comes and speaks to them. And so Samuel's a boy. Encounters can happen when you're old or young. Another unique thing about this story is Samuel needs help. He needs help discerning the voice of God in his life. I think one thing that we probably all have in common at one point in our life, if it's, even if it's not the case right now, we've all needed help figuring out how it is that God speaks to us and how we notice his voice and how we discern his voice from all the other voices that are in our head. Our own voice, the judgments of others from the past, Satan. How do you discern God's voice? So Samuel needs help. So he goes and he goes, he goes to uh, his spiritual father, Eli, and Eli helps him. Now what this means to me is that this is something that we should all seek. We should seek, seek the help of others learning to notice God's presence when we worship, when we pray, when we read the scripture. I can tell you, in addition to having like a great kids ministry and student ministry that's helping our students learn to hear God's voice, we have an amazing prayer ministry here. And one of the things they do, they don't just pray for the things going on in people's lives, but they actually spend time together helping one another discern and listen to God. You have an incredible resource here. You have a bunch of people that would love to sit with you and patiently walk you through, here are some of the ways that you learn to notice the voice of God. I'd encourage you, as you seek more encounters in your life, to seek some help. Find a spiritual director, a mentor, someone that would help you. Just about every way that I experience the Lord, I learn from someone else. I have not discovered anything on my own. I discovered it in the scripture, but I need the help of others to see how to apply it to my life. Here's the fourth op observation for Samuel is this is an interruption. Now, this is an interruption of his night and his sleep, but it's an interruption for their plans. Eli was waiting to pass the torch to Samuel, but he sees that it needs to happen now. See, this is an interruption to both of their plans. God is speeding up the timeline and choosing Samuel as the prophet and beginning to speak to him on behalf of the country. This is often what happens. God breaks through and he changes our plans. And this is an interruption to his plans. And I love how he responds. He says, I'm listening. And then if you read the, the, the pages that follow, you see that he's faithful in following God, not just listening. So that's the first story. The second story occurs in 1 Kings chapter 19. Starting in verse nine, this is the story of Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah is different than Samuel. He's old and seasoned and experienced, and he's actually becoming a little cynical because that is what happens when you work with people. <laughs> it's not an excuse. We don't want to stay there, but I understand how he feels, especially after COVID. Elijah has been busy battling idolatry within his own nation. The king and queen and those in power have been worshiping foreign gods, dead gods. 
And just before this encounter, he has a showdown with those different prophets, and God and Elijah smoke them all. I mean, just prove them wrong. Anyone that was watching would have a hard time saying those gods are real and the God of Israel is not real. God had moved in power. So he was in the middle of a season of a number of different encounters with God. He heard from God frequently. And here's what happens. He runs away. He asks God to kill him. He says, I want to quit. If I can't quit, let me die. He's in the desert. The Lord takes care of him. An angel shows up. He's having all these amazing encounters with God. And God tells him to go to the mountain of God and wait in a cave. Here's what it says, verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain, tore the mountains apart, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then you can keep reading. The Lord changes his life. He says, you're no longer holding this role. And he leaves that place a changed man. Okay, so here are the observations I want you to see about here. Elijah's struggling. It's different than Samuel. Samuel was seeking. Elijah is struggling. He's tired of all this. He doesn't need another encounter with God, he thinks. The quote from Eugene Peterson, faithful obedience in the same direction is a way to describe his life. Faithful obedience in the same direction for a very, very long time. He's struggling. He's also very experienced. He's been following the Lord for many years. He's preached, performed miracles, won battles, and he's in the middle of hearing all of these things. But in the midst of all that, of his struggle, and let me say this about his struggle. He's not just struggling with his faith. He's actually struggling with God. I think we need permission to do this. Sooner or later, if you journey with Jesus long enough, you won't just struggle in your faith. You will actually have a problem with God. Now, it doesn't mean that he's done anything wrong, but that's just what happens. We struggle with him. When people suffer, we struggle with God. I think he's struggling with God. He's experienced possibly even struggling with God, but God's gonna give him something new. The Lord's about to break through. Now, let me give you a little detail that helps you see that what happens here for Elijah is he's, his expectations about how God encounters people, at least in this moment, are interrupted, okay? So um, it's no coincidence that the passage says that God led him to the mountain of God. There's a name that's used. It's not the exact same name uh, as the mountain of God in other places. It's referred to as Sinai. But this is what you need to know. It's two different names for the same mountain. This is the mountain of God where Moses met with the Lord, okay? This is where Moses received the Ten Commandments that God led the Jewish people. He led Moses to lead the Jewish people to the foot of this mountain. Moses goes up on the mountain, has these amazing encounters with God, comes down, and God establishes the nation of Israel. This is that sacred mountain. So this is where Elijah goes. 
And the Lord says something very similar to Elijah that happened to Moses. He says, go to the mountain and I will pass by you. I will pass in front of you. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm not just going to let you hear from me. You're going to see me and feel me and hear me. Okay? It's not very often in the scriptures that we see that the Lord says, I'm going to pass in front of you, pass by you. He said it to Moses at the same mountain, and that's what happened. Elijah knows the story. So think what he's going through. The Lord is telling me to go to that mountain, and he's going to pass by me the way he did with Moses. Now, if you keep reading in the story in the book of Exodus, you get to Exodus chapter 19, verse 8. This is how the encounter went for Moses on the mountain when the Lord passed in front of him. This is what's happening on the, the mountain of God. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. So there's wind and the whole mountain trembled violently. So make the connection. There's fire, wind, and the earth is shaking like an earthquake. Elijah's in the cave waiting for the Lord. The fire comes, the wind comes, the earthquake comes. But what does it say? The Lord was not in those things. This encounter is interrupting how Elijah thought it was going to happen. Can you imagine him in the cave? Oh, here comes the fire. Just like it was for Moses. Oh, here comes the wind. Just like it was for Moses. The earth is shaking just like it was for Moses, but the Lord was not in those things. Here's what's helpful for us. It's never the same from one person to another. It's similar, but I think the Lord is trying to help us here. He can encounter us in many different ways, and we have to be open and release our expectations of how it's supposed to happen. God interrupts all of those things for him, and he gives him a new experience. And here's what's amazing about the new experience. This is also, and you know, this is one of the most helpful things, at least in my life, of learning how to encounter God. God's voice is heard. His presence passes in front of him in the sound of utter silence. The passage says, a still, small voice. Jewish translations that are a little better say it's the sound of utter silence. Here's what's helpful. When we get quiet, when life gets quiet, when life slows down, when we're alone, when we're by ourselves, that is a moment in the quiet of our mind and our heart for God to speak to us. In fact, I think God is always speaking to us, but our mind, our world is noisy and busy. We fill every empty space with Netflix or Facebook or Twitter, football certainly doesn't count. That's, you know, <laughs> anointed by God. Isn't it true? We are programmed to fill every moment. It's in the solitude, the empty moments, the quiet moments, the sound of utter silence that God's voice is often heard. Now again, not all the time, because this is not a formula. But God is showing him something new. I wonder if he had never noticed the presence of God in the silence before. And that's incredibly helpful for me. 
It means that I've got to get alone. I've got to get quiet. I've got to have time to slow down. One of my favorite authors, um, mention him in a moment, Richard Foster. He's a pacifist Quaker who's also a hippie. So you couldn't imagine someone more different than me. But he has been the most helpful teacher in my life on learning to, to hear God's voice and, and to be with him. But he often says this. He says, life is too important and too busy not to stop to be alone with him. Because we usually say, I'm too busy to stop. No, life is too busy and too important not to stop. We need it. It's the bread of life. It's what we live on. Let me make a few observations about what's similar here before we go to the third story. So with Samuel and Elijah, they are both in what you would call sacred places, okay? The temple is where Samuel is, right? It's not a more sacred place on earth. Elijah is on the sacred mountain of God. Now here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that a building like this or some great cathedral or the mountains in themselves are some special sacred place to encounter God. But what it does mean is there are certain type places that it's easier for us to notice his presence. Because the scriptures are very, very clear. God no longer dwells in a single building called the temple or from time to time on a single mountain. Remember what we looked at last week? The, his glory fills the whole earth. The spirit is everywhere. But because he's everywhere, a lot of times we can say there aren't things that need to be set apart. There needs to be sacred space in all of our lives where we meet with him. So the trail behind my house is where most people exercise. That is the place I meet with the Lord. It is sacred because it's easier for me to get quiet and to notice him. Some of you wake up very, very early and you sit in the same chair because that is your routine and you hear from the Lord there. That is a sacred place. That is like being in the temple. That is like being on the mountain of God. If you don't have that place or if the old place is no longer available to you or no longer works, stay at it. Find the trail. Find the time. That's a big part, the time of the day for some people. I'm worthless after two o'clock. So anything meaningful that's going to happen in my life is going to happen usually in the morning. One of the things I love about a ministry we have here called, um, it's called Healing Care, is what it does is Healing Care helps people deal with the past and, and heal from their, their past wounds. But one of the ways that we help people do that and experience God bring healing is we have people imagine a safe place where they're with Jesus. So it's not just about a physical place. Now this makes some people feel like it's weird like spiritual gobbledygook when you say imagine a safe place with the Lord. No, the Lord can use our imagination. I often think back to a time when I felt very close to him and I'll imagine that space. When I was 30 years old, um, we were given a sabbatical. I'd been on staff here for eight years and our family went away and we rented a tiny little shack in Hawaii. And the, who cares about the shack? It was Hawaii. So we could have slept outside with our three boys. It was amazing. Every day, I'd wake up, and I would read, and I'd go for a run, and I'd swim in the ocean. And day after day, the Lord encountered me. That was a sacred space. Even now when I pray and I feel disconnected from God, I will go back to that time, and I will remember what it was like to be there with him. And I will be grateful, and it's helpful for, for me in connecting with him. So sacred space and place, that's helpful. 
Here's the third story. I need to keep moving here. This is the story of Nathaniel and Jesus. John chapter 1. Jesus is calling his disciples through the, the first chapter of John, and he gets to this place where he's calling another set of brothers, and he gets to the, the calling of Nathaniel, who's one of his disciples. So what it says, verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked. Nazareth was not a good town. Okay, so he's actually saying, what are you talking about? No one special comes out of that town. He's having doubts and questions. Philip says, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Other versions say, in whom there is no guile. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel and Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see even greater things. And then the story goes on. And he begins to follow him. I want to explain this whole thing because this is an amazing encounter. First of all, the whole thing is a surprise. Nathaniel is not in the temple. He's not at the sacred mountain. We don't know a lot about him except that he's just going on with his life. He's not a part of one of the spiritual movements that's taking place in first century Israel when Jesus comes on the scene. Most likely he's just doing manual labor day after day trying to survive. And he has this surprising encounter with someone he couldn't imagine would live during his time or call his name. So he's absolutely surprised. His life is interrupted, his ordinary day. And don't miss this. God breaks through and interrupts us in the middle of our work, taking care of children, your sleep, the ordinary things. He comes to a man who doubts. The first thing we know Nathaniel says about Jesus in the whole Bible is he says, yeah, right. He can't be special. He comes from that crappy town up the road. He also knows the prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, is supposed to come from another town. So he's saying, what good can come out, out of Nazareth? Nathaniel, by the way, should be a kindred spirit of anyone who struggles with, with doubts regarding their faith. He doubts, and the Lord does nothing with it. He doesn't rebuke him for it, doesn't shame him for it. It's just part of life. It's part of faith. He has doubts. It's the third thing that happens, and Nathaniel is wowed, okay? And it happens in two, uh, two different ways. So first, he's walking towards Jesus, and Jesus sees Nathaniel, and he says, oh, look, there's Nathaniel, a man in whom there is no deceit. And I love Nathaniel's question. How do you know me? They've never met before. See, Jesus is calling out some good quality in Nathaniel. I love this about Jesus. He compliments us for our virtue. It's like this man is honest. He says what he means. He means what he says. Nathaniel knows that that's true about him. He knows it's probably his reputation. And he asks Jesus, how do you know me? I mean, he's becoming aware of something, that God knows us. Abraham Heschel is a Jewish rabbi we love to quote here. I love this quote. He says this, God awareness is not an act of God being known to man. It's the awareness of man being known by God. In thinking about him, we are thought by him. It's one thing to be aware of God. It's another thing to know that God is aware of you. So Nathaniel's having this moment. But then God blows his socks off. Jesus pulls the God card, 
He said, all right, you're a man in whom there's no deceit. But you know what? I saw you under the fig tree before your brother called you. Here's what's amazing about the fig tree. We don't know what the heck it represents. But Jesus is saying, I know every part of your life. I know the past. I know the details. So much so that I remember you sitting under the fig tree. I see everything. So I often tell people the fig tree can represent anything in your past. A lot of Bible commentators think the fig tree represented his vocation. Maybe it was a place where a business deal was struck. Who knows, something important in his life. Maybe the fig tree represents a place where he wept because he was betrayed. Maybe the fig tree represents the place that he cried out in his last prayer to God over something he struggles with like an addiction or weakness. Maybe the fig tree is the place that he found out someone dear to him had died. It represented grief in his life. This is the beauty of the fig tree. We don't know what it means, but it's Jesus speaking to him saying, I see everything. And the man who doubts has an encounter with God, a moment with God that changes his life forever. And look what he says. You surely are the son of God. And that day, the entire direction of his life changes because he begins to follow him. Amazing story. You know, it was interrupted for um, Nathaniel, his expectations of God, his doubts about God, all of those things were interrupted with his encounter with Jesus. How many of you have had doubts in God, but he's done something in your life, you've noticed his presence, and then those questions don't matter as much? I mean, God interrupts these things all the time. Another amazing encounter with God that's very different from the first two. I could tell you 20 more, but we don't have time. You got to get to that donut wall outside. The Bible is full of stories. Now, don't do this when you read them. Don't say, this is exactly how it always has to happen, and this is how it needs to happen for me. Because one of the hindrances that we have in encountering God is we show up with expectations that it has to look and feel a certain way. The best way I can illustrate it is just what it was like for Elise and I when we were dating. We were dating long distance, driving back and forth. We weren't together very often. When we were together, we'd go out to dinner, and we were hoping to have these wonderful, connecting, exciting conversations about our future and our life together. But anytime we showed up with this expectation that we were going to have this deep conversation, we would have a fight. And then we'd be crushed that we wasted the night. And part of the problem was we were putting so much pressure on the moment that it needed to happen a certain way. We found that we connect more. We have more meaningful conversations when we do these kinds of things together with no expectations. We're simply there to be with each other and enjoy each other. And if some very meaningful, deep conversation occurs, connecting moment, well, it does, and it's exciting. But as you seek the Lord this week, this is our challenge to you as we start this series as you seek God's encounters, as he interrupts you, as he surprises you, as you struggle and God gives you an encounter to help you get through that struggle, release the expectations. Now, I love what Aaron says here often at Cornerstone. It is so helpful. He uses a word that's similar to expectations. He says, expect it. How many of you have heard this? When we worship, he says, let's raise two hands, right? 
And often he'll say, one hand represents surrender. I'm surrendering the way this is going to come, go down. God's in charge of the encounter. But I am expectant that God's going to do something. And that is very different than having specific expectations. I'm expectant that God can move. But I am surrendering how it has to look. That posture, my friends, if you carry with it during your day, your encounters with the Lord will increase in transformation and creativity and mission and purpose and all these things, your ability to live in community, all the other things that come from this, they will increase because moments in his presence can change your life. All right, I'm gonna invite the worship team out and I'm gonna give us a chance to just encounter the Lord. So let's bring the lights down, guys. I'm gonna go to the quiet place of prayer. This is not new to some of you, but I may be teaching you a new way to pray right now. This is called Lectio Divina. I'm going to read a passage four different times. And before I read each passage, I'm going to ask you to ask God to speak to you about something specific. Now, there's nothing special about this in the sense, except in the sense that God is speaking to us through his word, his spoken word, but his spirit voice, the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to us at the same time. And this is a very helpful way for people to encounter his presence or to hear from him, all right? So as we start, let's just go to the quiet place of prayer, and I want to encourage you to just say to the Lord that you are listening. And as you're listening, you'd also say to him that you're surrendering how this needs to look, but you are expectant that you can encounter him. And read through Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14. And this first time, I just want you to listen to the whole passage. If you get distracted, don't judge your distraction or your thoughts. Just return to that phrase, Lord, I'm listening. This is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Now, the second time through, I want you to ask God for a word or a phrase. A word or a phrase. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Father, we're listening. This next time through, we're asking the Lord for an emotion or a feeling. 
And don't judge what comes. It doesn't even have to connect with the word if he gave you one. Just let him speak to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And now last is our response. I you to ask God to give you a next step. A step of obedience. A step of faith. Just like Samuel and Elijah and Nathaniel, their lives changed because they followed him in a new way. What is he asking you to change, to follow him in? Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Spirit, we thank you for being here. The presence of Jesus is in the room. You're sharing all that the Father has with us right now. I bless anything that was shared. I bless your presence if it was shared with others. If we just noticed that you were with us and maybe heard nothing, I bless that. Father, may we consider how moments in your presence change us for, forever. And may we as a church and as individuals single people and families and couples seek you on our own but also together because what we need is more of you and so thank you for this time this sacred moment this sacred space where you speak to us we love you and we pray this in jesus name amen